Hello, and welcome to Health Affairs This Week, the podcast where health affairs editors and guests go beyond the headlines to talk about health policy news and developments. I'm Chris Fleming. And I'm Ellen Bayer. So before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to make our listeners aware of a brand new health affairs paper that we released online this week ahead of the print version that will be published in December. It's a review of the literature on the effectiveness of efforts to address misinformation about COVID-19. And it talks about important lessons learned from those efforts. The paper's by Rory Smith and several co-authors from Brown University. It's really interesting, and I encourage our listeners to take a look, and we'll include a link to it in the show notes. Today, we're going to talk about another issue that's become more and more important in, uh, in healthcare and in many sectors of the economy, and that is artificial intelligence, or AI. Specifically, we talk about the new executive order um, just signed by President Biden on October 30th. So AI, as our listeners know, has been evolving much faster than the policy can keep up. And of course, here at Health Affairs, we're especially interested in AI as it relates to healthcare and health policy. That's right, Ellen. And we're fortunate uh, to have a guest with us today who's an expert on the topic of AI and healthcare and can help us make sense of all of this. And that's uh, Dr. Harlan Krumholtz, who has graciously agreed to join us. Uh, he'll, he'll talk about what the executive order means for health policy and, and AI and what we can expect to see as the next steps. Harlan is a cardiologist and is the Harold uh, H. Hines Jr. Professor of Medicine at Yale University and the Director of the Center for Outcomes Research and Evaluation at Yale New Haven Hospital. And he's uh, founded several uh, companies uh, in healthcare involving AI, including Insight AI, which uses AI technology to identify structural uh, heart disorders from widely available electrocardiograms or ECGs. Uh, I will say uh, to our to our listeners that uh, Harlan, along with Jody Daniel, wrote an article on the AI executive order that was published today in Health Affairs Forefront. We'll put a link uh, to the article in the show notes, uh, as well as a link to an earlier article that Harlan wrote uh, in Forefront, uh, co-authored with several others on coverage and payment issues related to AI and healthcare innovation. Harlan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. It's really nice to be here. So Harlan, as an expert in the topic of AI and healthcare, could you first give us sort of a 10,000-foot overview of some of the main ways that AI is used in healthcare and why there's a need for federal policy in this space? You know, I think we're experiencing this sort of remarkable, you know, increase amplification in the opportunities around AI, given that the technology is moving so fast and and compute power is growing so fast so that we're able to do things that were unimaginable even just a couple of years ago. I mean, AI has been part of medicine for a long time. I mean, every imaging study you do, CT scans, for example, I mean, the complex imaging that's done has always had AI embedded in it, and that's how they make the calculations and so forth. But but what's happening now is, especially with the large language models coming out with, with uh, the kind of of democratization of AI, you're seeing a lot of progress to the point where people are thinking about using these for decision support, thinking of using these for administrative tasks, and thinking of using these in ways that will be enabling the healthcare system to interact sort of more easily with patients. And all of these have great opportunities associated with them, but also some risks. So we've talked about, uh, and you've just uh, put it eloquently, how the uh, how AI is now developing in leaps and bounds and outstripping uh, policy developments. 
But um, even so, I mean, the executive order, it's an important milestone in AI policy, but it's certainly not the first action uh, that governments have taken on the issue. Uh, Harlan, can you provide some background on the policy landscape as it stood going into the executive order, as it affected healthcare? Uh, what are some of the most important actions that the White House and Congress have taken so far? Uh, and what are the gaps that the AI, or excuse me, that the executive order was designed to fill? For a long time, this AI has been on the rise. And actually, I wrote a piece for Health Affairs in 2014 where I was talking about, you know, that this was going to come on. And I, at that time, was talking about how medicine is becoming an information science. Maybe I was a little too hopeful then because it's taken a while. But a decade later, I think it's on our doorstep. And what people are recognizing is we need to move. And the government has been taking some actions. I mean, the FDA has been thinking hard about what it needs to approve as software as a medical device, you know, the degree to which standalone and embedded AI, you know, how does it need to be monitored? Recognizing that that these things, as they're put out, need to evolve over time. To be able, they need to be checked and monitored. People are thinking about a sort of a life cycle approach to this, and the FDA has been deeply, you know, working on strategies about this. ONC also has had a, a, a policies that they're trying to develop around decision support tools. So the federal agencies of HHS have have sort of started in this direction. In addition, the the National Institute of Standards and Technology put out this year a framework for thinking about AI broadly, not just in healthcare, but of course, everything that comes out about AI has direct relevance to what's going on in healthcare. So, so the administration and executive branch has been doing this. Congress has been considering a wide variety of strategies, again, mostly around AI writ large, not just about healthcare. But, but I think it was really only until this executive order came out that was signed on October 30th that, that the the U.S. government and the administration began to provide a really strong push towards rec a recognition that we need to put together this framework for managing risks. We need to direct federal actions around the use of healthcare systems. We need to guide the development of tools. And, and we need to be thoughtful, not only about what it benefits it can provide, but recognizing issues around privacy and bias. You know, we, we need to be able to set something in place so that we have these guardrails around and people can be confident. And, you know, this thing was called executive order for safe, secure, and trustworthy development and use. I just want to highlight a few things. Safe, secure. So safe for the secure part, maybe more about privacy. Trustworthy. Can you, are the results really something that, that you can put stock in that you should depend on? And then they talked about for the development and use. So talking about how do we build these, but then how are we going to apply them? And in all of these areas, they're saying, we need to be able to develop some policy, some regulatory guidance here that, that helps ensure that people in the United States and then maybe beyond are, are, can be confident in these new systems. Excellent. Could, could you walk us through what you would see as the most important health-related uh, pieces of the executive order? And also, um, in your opinion, was there anything unexpected or surprising about it in terms of what it does and doesn't do? Well, I, you know, I, I definitely think that this is is the beginning. I mean, what they're doing is starting to set out a, a, a series of actions that needs to take place in order for the government to be able to be in a position where it's it's not constraining innovation. It's it's actually promoting innovation, but doing it in a way that ensures that it is safe, secure, and trustworthy. And I, you know, I I, I want to say this executive order was written again for AI writ large, but they called out healthcare in very direct ways within this document. And I think that's important because you know, healthcare, education, you know, there, there were a few sectors that they thought were important 
to highlight health, health being one of them. I, I guess, um, you know, as I read it, I, I welcomed it, embraced that this, the language of it feels, feels right. Uh, but it, it does, I worry that the world's moving so fast. How is the regulatory uh, world going to be able to keep up with this? You know, th this is a thing where 90 days they have to establish a task force, which is going to have about a year before their, their findings are going to be out to start talking to us about, you know, what the government's going to look like uh, with regard to its stance on this. Meanwhile, decisions have to be made every day, you know, and, and things are changing. Of course, the agencies aren't going to stop, but, but it sort of is, uh, you got to start somewhere. And so I think that's good. But I guess when I read it, I was also had a little bit of trepidation about uh, whether or not we're going to be responsive enough, given how fast things are moving. And the task force you're referring to is uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. Exactly. So, so they were, it, the executive lays out that HHS needs to establish a task force that's charged with developing a strategic plan for responsible use of AI in healthcare. And so it's good, by the way, 90 days, it, that is a sense of like, let's get going. But 90 days, the group's going to convene, we'll listen a lot, try to take in a lot of input and ultimately come out with a report that will be available probably about a year from now that, that takes into account these issues about pr safety, privacy, security, equity, long-term safety. And it's focusing particularly on predictive and generative AI technologies. Um, and, and also about the financing side of it as well. Like how is it being used? You, you're seeing reports about AI algorithms being used to deny services in some cases to people. Maybe that's right. Maybe it's wrong. We need to have some guidance about how to know what we can trust. Harlan, you've, you've talked a lot uh, about what, what's in the order. So as comprehensive as it is, obviously, uh, there's still a lot that it, uh, that it can't do uh, and, you know, that may not do, you know, forever. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what some of the limitations are of doing this through executive order uh, and how those might be addressed going forward? You know, so again, you know, I want to sort of highlight my enthusiasm for this executive order. I mean, I think it's important. This administration takes seriously this issue around AI and, and shows it in this executive order and is starting to get the federal agencies to move and departments to move in ways that are going to, I think, put us in a position to leverage it appropriately, responsibly. But it's important to know that an executive order directs action by federal agencies that that still only allows them to act consistent with, with their existing authority and budget. So this isn't about more money moving. I mean, ultimately, Congress is going to need to act if we want things to be enduring and if we want them to be funded appropriately. And so, you know, also an executive order is owned by this president. I mean, you know, and then there's an election coming up. And so whether or not, you know, I would think there might be bipartisan support for a document like this, but it does, we would be better off to be able to enshrine it in legislation and be able to make movement now. But, but on the other hand, this is what we need to do to start, which is a task force that would help provide direction and get people going. I would hope listeners actually realize, I think everyone who's interested in healthcare should be participating in ways to help us take advantage of this next era. I mean, this is going to be a fundamentally new era of, of medicine and healthcare. I mean, what these capabilities have. And because they have a tremendous upside, but could make things worse, they could create worse disparities. They could, they could, they could actually, like the epic sepsis model, which was published, you know, it was embedded within the EHRs. It missed two-thirds of the patients who had sepsis. If doctors relied on that 
that tool that was put into the EHR to determine who had this massive infection and needed ICU care without using their own judgment, they would have missed a lot of people. And that performance wasn't known until long after it had been embedded in the EHR when someone published in JAMA Internal Medicine a piece that said, when we tried to validate this, it didn't perform very well. So, you know, we're going to need to to sort of work through this. I I call this kind of an adolescence period, right? It's like, we're still it's kind of awkward. You know, we're getting capabilities that we don't know what to do with, you know, and, and we, we're trying to figure out how to use them responsibly, but, you know, both in terms of, you know, I, I think the analogies, you, you get what I'm talking about, but it's, it's, it's kind of this moment where I think it, it's all of our responsibilities to be looking out for how can we optimize our use of this new tool and ensure that net net people are benefited. There's tangible benefit for people with regard to health and for society and that we're warding off all these kind of you know potential things that that could actually uh, uh, countervene any benefit. Thank you. I love that adolescent analogy. Um, clearly, there's a lot to think about, a lot more work to be done on this issue in the next few years, and I think that's a good place to wrap up. So we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much, Harlan, for taking the time to chat with us. Oh, thank you so much. Pleasure. And uh, as uh, the parent of a child who was recently an adolescent, I can, <laughs> I, I'm just thinking about the, all the excitement and all the trepidation. So, uh, <laughs> well, exactly. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, I add my thanks as well to you, Harlan. Uh, and certainly thanks to our listeners, of course, for tuning in. Uh, please leave us a review. And if you like the episode, or even if you didn't, uh, please tell a friend and subscribe to Health Affairs This Week, wherever you get your podcasts.